Welcome to Pro Running News. Welcome back if you're a regular listener. Matt Fox, Dave Littman speaking about ketone esters. Are they the new EPO? Are they not? We've both been using ketones. Let's get started with talking about what they are. You, yeah. you give it your best shot, Dave, because uh, it's a tricky one because I feel like it's so new that you ask one person, they'll give you one description. You ask someone else, they give you a slightly different one, but you give it your best shot. Yeah, so there's a really good review paper on this. I guess, let me start out with, I'm just declaring a bit of a conflict of interest here. I, I was sent some ketones from a ketone company. So uh, for whatever that's worth, declaring that conflict of interest. Um, there is a really good paper here uh, that we put in the show notes from Brendan Egan and some of his group talking about ketones and ketones during exercise. And I spoke to Brendan a little bit, uh, really smart dude. So really good paper. I would read of this if you're interested, but with some great diagrams. But basically... Ketones are fatty acids, uh, sorry, fatty acids in the blood. So they're mobilized from fat. Uh, they transfer, they're going around in the blood as fatty acids. They're converted to ketone bodies when your insulin's low and the fatty acid concentration is high, right? So the key there is that when they're endogenous, which means made by the body, it's in a usually in the presence of low insulin. Uh, they're produced by the liver during periods of either caloric restriction, which will cause relatively low insulin levels, um, like low food intake, uh, low carbohydrate intakes. Uh, you can have obviously starvation uh, and then prolonged intensive exercise. And then of course, a couple other things. So, you know, you can have, uh, you know, the most popularized by diabetic ketoacidosis, which is a life-threatening uh, situation for type one diabetics where they have uh, high glucose and high ketones. It's a real problem. And that's, it. you know, until ketone supplements existed, the only time you would ever see high glucose and ketones together was in this case, right? So now we can obviously supplement with them. So it's a bit different. Um, so that's the long and short of it. Uh, there are different types of ketones in the body. Uh, there's acetone, which is a sweet smelling, um, you know, you also smell it. It's actually what is used in nail polish remover. So that's one of the ketones. Um, and then there's acetoacetate and beta-hydroxybutyrate. And beta-hydroxybutyrate or BHB is the most commonly um, sort of used one as a supplement. And it can come in multiple forms. I won't go too much into it, but just so these fuel sources one of the things that's unique about ketones is it can cross the, they can cross the blood brain barrier so they can go into the brain and we'll talk a bit about that later they're often they can also be used to fuel the heart uh, and muscle as well but they can't be used by the liver so they're an interesting compound to be used there and obviously um there are now exogenous ketones which is really what we're talking about here and exogenous just means it's from outside the body so we're taking them in so we have you know endogenous production which we talked about before and then exogenous ones which are generally made in a lab um, so now these have been around for quite a while. Some people might remember the bodybuilding fans, uh, which probably don't have any of, but, uh, they would remember things, uh, such called raspberry ketones. You might've seen these as weight loss supplements in, uh, supplement stores. And these are one form of ketones. Um, and, and there are similar ones and they're all a salt. So it's usually beta hydroxybutyrate with a salt attached to it. And that's, you know, without going into the chemistry, that's, that's one of the ways, uh, then there's also the esters, which are probably the ones that, um, have been more that are more potent that have been used recently, uh, more recently than that. And then very recently, um, there's been the release of the diols and the diols are the ones you've been using, Matt. So these are the ones that are in hard ketones. Uh, for those who are aware of those in the U S U S listeners, these are, um, yeah, it's, it's a different form. So they take the ester and then they take portions of it out to make the dial without going into the chemistry because A, my chemistry is pretty bad, but B, also, I don't think listeners are, are chemistry fans there. So if you are interested, you can look this all up. It's it's all there in the chemistry and, and physiology textbooks. Generally, the way these work is salts are the cheapest, dials are a little bit more, oh, quite a bit more expensive. Uh, and then esters are very expensive. That's really the way it works. And generally in terms of potency, 
the research I found suggested that um, the most potent are the esters, then the diols, and then the salts. Most people you talk to will tell you, and, and I tend to agree with this, having used some of the salts, um, that they kind of don't work super well. They don't raise ketone levels that much, and they don't last for very long. Um, I haven't used any diols. The esters, um, we obviously raise ketone levels a lot higher and, and sort of work a lot longer as well. And there are known rates of decay and stuff that we won't get into here in terms of how quickly these are metabolized at different intensities. Um, where people may have come across this, I think these are probably, you know, pretty common in the Tour de France. Team Yombo Visma use ketones, I know, and a few other people do as well. So really, really commonly used in the Tour de France, Pelotons. Uh, and then also a few runners. Uh, I know you know a couple of them. I think Sarah Hall is one of them as well. Uh, any others that you know, Matt? Uh, I have been informed uh, through uh, a resource that Molly Seidel is also okay. uh, not cool. 100%. Uh, I haven't got confirmation, not from her. Um, so apologies, Molly, if that's not true, but I have heard that that's true. Um, I've heard that there's some triathletes also using it. Uh, Cameron Worth being one. Yeah. Uh, I've also heard of a couple of others, which I won't mention, but um, uh, just because I don't know hundred percent for sure. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's definitely becoming more popular. Um, and I just want to very quickly simplify what you said, because uh, you said it in quite an advanced way, which I think most people, or at least some people would probably understand, but to dumb this right down and to make it very simple, it's that when you fast or when you, as you mentioned, your caloric intake is very low or you go through a very lengthy period. I mean, there's often reference in podcasts about you're talking back to the caveman days when people are eating, you know, they're killing an animal, they're eating it and they're going for seven to 10 days without any food. And then they're finding another animal and killing it. Um, how people survive like that was that, after say, you know, everyone's slightly different. So there's no firm rule here, but after maybe two to four days or sometimes five days of, of no calories, no, no glucose or very, very low amounts, um, you know, your body will switch the uh, fuel source. It'll run out of glucose and figure out what to do. And it will create the ketones, um, which is basically the new form of energy. Now that form of energy is uh, not as effective at very high intensities. Um, so if you've got your heart rate very, very high at threshold, or if you're, if you're sprinting, you're doing 400 meter repeats, they won't be as effective as carbs uh, to use for fuel, but it will be very effective for long sustained bouts of, uh, of, of energy, maybe for walking or jogging or, or even running at a steady state level. Uh, or for example, if you're not even moving and you're just needing to uh, focus for something that you're reading, or if you're talking to someone at length, um, it's quite effective there. Now, what the um, the new supplement that was sort of become relatively, I'd like to hear your, your take on when these first came out. I understand that they became somewhat affordable in around 2017, 2018. Um, that's from what I understand, but I could be slightly off the mark. But these new supplements that uh, you, if you take them, you basically don't have to do the fasting to get the ketones to activate and 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 create themselves, uh, so to speak. So, um, so yeah, it's basically a fast tracking way of doing it. And in the past, if you, and do correct me if I'm wrong here, Dave, uh, in the past, if you fasted for five days and you, you know, you entered the state of quote unquote ketosis and you created the ketones, um, what happens if you then consume a whole lot of carbs? I don't know, but at least with the, with the new ketone supplements, um, that you consume, you can sort of have a hybrid situation where you're utilizing ketones and carbs at the same time, which basically creates a, a, a more advanced form of energy. Um, in a way, um, because I've been trialing them, you've been trialing them. Um, I do feel it for sure, especially if I take quite high doses. If I take the dose on the packet, uh, it's very, very subtle. 
to me, I, almost to the point where I'm not sure if it's doing anything. But if I take a little bit more than that, which is very safe, in fact, there's studies to show that you can take 10 times the doses and it's actually not very dangerous. Um, I've, I've experimented with taking about two, about twice the the standard dose on the packet. And I've then really noticed quite a difference in uh, more specifically, probably around um, mental energy than anything else. Sort of the ability to, um, to sustain focus for long periods of time. There's even been and, and I will say that these are very early studies and nothing is confirmed, but there's been some studies around it uh, helping uh, people with uh, things like ADHD and focus problems. Um, and that, that is not, that is not uh, anything that's finalized or confirmed yet, but there's some hope there from what I understand. Um, so for me, when I take them um, even along with low levels of carbs, I feel like I just have this really solid, long sustained form of just like medium level energy mentally. And that does transfer over to the body as well. Um, I don't really notice any major differences when I'm doing, say, threshold work or very high intensity work. But I feel like I do notice a difference when I'm doing, for example, perfect example is today when I did a very long run, in fact, the longest run I've ever done, experimenting with some super long runs, uh, 45K, just under 28 miles. And um, yeah, I mean, I took a double dose of ketones a few hours before it. And uh, the run didn't feel feel overly hard, which is pretty crazy to say because uh, you know forty five k is the longest I've ever run. So these these ketones help you, uh, from what I understand, when the energy required is sort of not super high intensity stuff. It's sort of that moderate to low level intensity stuff, which is which is exactly why Tour de France riders are taking it because they have to ride for days and days and days and and do hours and hours and hours each week of, of training. It's not necessarily very it's very different to racing a half marathon or a marathon where you have this one hour to three hours or you know in some people's cases four hours or, or more um of, of very high intensity work and then you're done um obviously it's very different so do you think that was pretty accurate <laughs> to, to simplify? Uh, yeah there's some, there's some stuff in there that i'll touch on and, and go over to help out so at sort of normal let's call it normal when we're not fasting and we have good you know availability in modern life uh obviously higher intensity stuff and for most people for brain heart these sort of things they run on carbohydrates they are important carbohydrates and if you don't have any your body can make them through a process called gluconeogenesis uses proteins and some other aspects like fats to help go into without getting too much into the complication creates new glucose that's what gluconeogenesis means um neo being new genesis being make create new glucose. So you can make your own carbohydrates. It's not a high rate, but you can make some. Um, and then as you, as you said, as you starve for a period of time, you will start to, instead of just having fat as a fuel source, the secondary fuel source will also be ketones that are made as a result of this fat as well. And so uh, that will help with areas where fatty acids can't cross the blood brain barrier, right? So that's where the ketones come in is to help fuel that. So it reduces the need for carbohydrates in those situations. So you're spot on there in terms of how that sort of works, but just to clarify that point, the Twitter brands thing we'll touch on because I think there's some, and it's part of what this paper is about. Uh, the paper that sort of stemmed this podcast, which is looking at the the role that ketones have in in stimulating EPO release. There's also some other um, interesting research. There is um, some stuff on the I don't know about the ADHD stuff, but definitely there's some interesting research on brain health of this stuff in terms of a couple. There's something I linked in the the show notes from memory that looked at. Um, just double checking if I put it in here. Uh, yeah, looking at brain metabolism and it's it's available on some of these um, ketone companies' websites where brain metabolism changed a little bit and it changed focus networks a little bit. I, I don't want to go into it too much. It's a bit early phase, but there's definitely a component there. I know these are being researched a lot in concussion 
and there's big military grants for concussion research. So there's definitely a lot of stuff in brain health around ketones. There's no question. I know Dom D'Agostino has done quite a bit on hypoxic, uh, hypoxia and divers and a few other things like that, and, and even adaptation to altitude. So there's definitely a lot here. Um, but I, I would agree with you in terms of experience using them, have used them for intervals, have used them for thresholds, and have used them for longer stuff. Definitely feel... Um, yeah, feel like they're more more effective or, or have a bigger impact on the longer, slower stuff. And definitely, probably the biggest thing is is the mental aspect of it. You just feel there's almost like a euphoria that you feel uh, when you run. It's almost like the first time you put on a pair of super shoes. You're like, oh, this is fun, and it, it's it's like it's euphoric, and you're like, oh, I really want to do this. I want to do more of this. Mm. Um, it's it's really bizarre. It's it's really hard to explain, but um, it is very hard to explain. That's, that's definitely, <laughs> yeah, it's and without wanting it to sound like a drug because these are definitely not uh, drugs and definitely not illegal. Um, no, you can buy these legally on the, on the yeah. line and in stores, and, yeah. And not banned. Uh, they're not on the banned substance list and provided, you know, the, the one thing I would always say is make sure that you, if you are an athlete that is concerned about this or getting tested or both, then you should be getting, um, you know, informed sports brands. So brands that are tested for this stuff because, you know, just because it's, the supplement itself doesn't have anything uh, nefarious in it. Doesn't mean that it can't be contaminated. So that's what informed sport is about. So looking at this paper um, is really interesting. Um, so I guess why I look at uh, EPO and ketones is there's some interesting evidence previously that doses of ketones can increase EPO. Now EPO is erythropoietin. It's a hormone that's released by the kidneys to stimulate red blood cell production. So this is what happens when you go to altitude, you get increased EPO levels and then you get an increased uh, amount of red blood cells. This is why people go to altitude. It's also why people use EPO, right? So we probably, most listeners would be familiar with, you know, um, athletes using EPO uh, to, to gain an advantage, right? So this is how it's used. Um, so it's really interesting um, to know that EPO levels can be increased by taking ketones. Um, now, one thing to note here is just because you've got increased EPO levels, does not mean that you've got increased red blood cells, right? So EPO is a hormone it acts doing many things, but, and we know that it has a role to increase red blood cell mass, but there's no proof yet that using ketones and increasing EPO will then create increased red blood cell mass. So we haven't seen that yet. We know that if you dose EPO by injection, it will, but that's a very different dosing strategy, right? So the body's a complex system, which means that one input can have multiple effects and we don't really know what happens. There is a bit of a black box in the middle there. We're not so sure. So we're not saying that you're definitely going to get an increased red blood cell mass, but there is some uh, evidence that is interesting in that regards, I guess. Now, the other thing is there's some emerging evidence that there are other effects from these ketones, which is really interesting. And why I sort of said, we'll get back to the Tour de France because there's some interesting effects on inflammation. It looks like it might limit some inflammation. Um, it might help with skeletal muscle regeneration, uh, which makes a ton of sense for both for Tour de France riders, right? If they can do these things. And then angiogenesis, which is creation of new blood vessels. So looks like it might help recovery there, um, which is, you know, those- I have those heard that over and over again, yeah. recovery aspect. Yeah. So that there is there. And I guess in this study, people might be asking, what did they use? They used, um, what are the ketone esters? And they used the dosing of just at the end of the exercise. And you might see this in the Tour de France. You see the guys- they actually don't use it during the stages. Usually they use it towards the end. So they'll use it at the end of exercise and one hour. And then in the study, it was end of exercise, one hour after exercise and two hours after exercise. Now for some people that dosing is like a hundred dollars plus. So 
So it's a lot of money to be spending on some ketones to get a bit of a bump in uh, in EPO. Um, and we don't know what that does, right? But the increase in EPO, the effect size of that was equivalent to the effect size you would see at about 2000 meters of altitude or uh, that's 6,000 feet. So, um, you know, it's about 20% increase in EPO levels, which is significant. Um, so I think what we're going to see is a paper following this up that will look into, does it actually change red blood cell mass? Uh, what we may see in the meantime is some people saying, I use ketones and that's why my EPO levels are higher. Let's let's hope we don't see that. But but perhaps that, that might be um, the reason that people are citing for increased EPO levels when they're having biological port, passport violations, hoping that doesn't happen, but um, it's not out of the foreseeable realm, I guess. Mm. Uh, so yeah, hopefully not. Um, I have a question it, for you, which I know the answer to, but people are probably already asking this. Yeah, Is there any possibility of these being banned? Uh, I mean, there is a possibility, like anything's possible. Uh, the reality is <clears throat> it seems unlikely given that um, that would be akin to banning like carbohydrate gels or a protein shake or something like that. Yeah, exactly. You can ban methods, right? So you could say, hey, you're not allowed to take exogenous ketones. I doubt it orally. I strongly doubt that they would ban them orally because there seems to be this line where people are really comfortable, are really anti-injecting of things, but are fine if you eat it. Um, and there seems to be this line, you know, carnitine is the perfect example, like injection over a certain amount is banned, whereas taking it orally is fine. Now, granted, there is a reason for this to some extent, which is once you inject it, it changes what they call first pass metabolism. So when you eat something, it gets metabolized uh, prior to being dumped into the bloodstream, whereas this isn't the case in when you inject it. So there is a reason for it, but also that that, that line exists. And so I doubt we'll see that. Um, I doubt we'll see the ban unless there's a safety issue. And you know, we've got an upcoming episode on the banned substance list, and we'll talk about why people might why substances may be banned. And one of them is obviously safety. The other one would be like if it's sort of, I guess, against the spirit of sport or bad for society. And I don't see that being the case in ketones. So I mean, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, I might I'd probably bet against it, but but nothing's unforeseeable, I guess. Um, and there's there's you know, especially if we start to see there, there is an argument here that there is a very big case of the haves and the have-nots. These things are not cheap uh, for anybody. And so, um, yeah, th there is definitely a haves and a have-nots potential here. But I mean, that is sport, unfortunately. That is the reality. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to touch on was you talked about dosing. And sorry to sort of be jumping around a little bit. The dosing, the dosing here, you mentioned changing doses. What I would say for people is check out the papers and check out the uh, the research on this, and we, we have links to it all in the show notes, because there is a specific body weight dosing. And I'd say that's probably where you want to be at rather than doubling or tripling doses that are recommended. I would just say dose based on body weight. Um, and uh, for me, that's actually a little bit more because I'm a bigger guy. I'm, you know, sort of, I don't know what I am in pounds, but I'm a hundred and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm 83 kilograms, 84 kilograms, which is like 170 pounds, 180 pounds thereabouts. So like, you know, I'm quite big for a runner. So the dosing on the packaging is definitely not necessarily um, aimed at me. It's it's aimed at other people, right? These are all products that are commercially available. So they give a standard dose that makes sense for them for, you know, all sorts of things, economies of scale and all that stuff. So uh, if you want to be as scientifically valid as possible, check the research. If you want to be, you know, safe and, and easy, just take the recommended dose. It's probably how I go about that. Mm. You briefly touched uh, on cost as well. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you've got anything more to talk about with dose or. No, no, that's good. Um, you talked about cost. Can you give some people are probably wondering at this point before. Well, one, in fact, this is something I'm not actually super clear about. So I'd like to hear if you know yet, because it seems a little bit, 
um, unclear to me, but when I look at the, I mean, when you look at a caffeine product, you can mm-hmm. quite regularly go. So let's say you look at a coffee and you look at a monster energy drink, and you look at a Red Bull, you can see exactly how many milligrams of caffeine are in each one in most cases. Anyway, when you go to yeah. Starbucks, you might have to do a little bit more digging, but um, at least with monster energy and Red Bull and most of these supplements that they actually say it on there. So monster energy is 200 milligrams for a can of 600 mils. Red Bull, I think, is about 130. A regular coffee is sort of somewhere between 60 and 100. Uh, that's a regular shot. Uh, double shot will be double that. Um, I'm actually having a little bit of a difficult time knowing you know, how potent these these ones are. But um, if you could touch on that, that would be good. But also, I think the main point I'd like to hear is cost. So probably for some, you, you br- did briefly mention that they're pretty expensive. Um, you know, w- from my understanding, I'm probably paying, um, or from what I'm taking, it's sort of around about that 4 to $7 per day dose yeah which sounds like a lot but at the same time it's about the same as sort of a coffee or two and it's also worth pointing out that we haven't really gotten to just yet um is that to me i don't know about to you but this is a very common um uh not side effect but benefit maybe is that they do reduce that it does reduce appetite a little bit yeah i think in a healthy way i don't think it's an extreme point but what it does to me and i'm still trying to wrap my head around exactly how to phrase this and how to word it but it does basically reduce my appetite in the sense of feeling like I want to consume sweet carbohydrate things. And yes, I need carbohydrates, especially in marathon training, we all do. But I find myself less wanting to eat a bag of candy or a, or a chocolate and more wanting to eat um, something that's not sweet and not full of carbs. Um, that's just how I start to think when I have the high doses of these things, which is interesting for sure. But sorry, I'm going around and around in circles. Let's talk a little bit about cost and what you've observed. Uh, as I said, I've been fortunate enough to be sent some, so I don't actually know what they cost. I just know they're expensive. I mean, for the yeah. esters at least, so we can, um, you know, you, you could look this up. I, I don't think it'll be uh, proprietary information, but uh, I'd need to double check that. Um, but, I, you know, fairly expensive from what I understand for the, the esters, and that's why the dials were made. The dials are what you're talking about. That's sort of 4 to $7 um, per dose. Um, and again, it just depends. Like if you want one dose and that's you know, four to seven, but if you're triple dosing at the end of a training and you want to dose before, then all of a sudden that becomes sort of 30, 40, mm-hmm. uh, maybe more dollars. So, you know, it becomes an expensive uh, long run, but, you know, so uh, some gels, right? Some gels can be not that expensive, but can be quite expensive. So, um, yeah, I mean, the other thing to, to note here, um, and it'll, it sort of touches to some extent on what you're talking about with the satiety, which is um, feelings of, of, you know, of feeling sated or, or full, is that they can cause some side effects around nausea, GI distress, et cetera. Um, I definitely understand that. So I didn't feel that necessarily, but I understood it, why that would be the case. Cause I was like, oh, I can feel that if I had to have, you know, two or three of these in a row, I might not feel so good here uh, and feel a little bit, um, yeah, it's just a little bit nauseous. What I would say is the taste of the, the taste of the esters is, is known to be horrible. Uh, yep. It's quite a bitter taste. It is absolutely horrible. They do all sorts of stuff to mask it. And it's, it's, you know, it is what it is. Um, yeah. So that, that is what it is. Uh, I think with the uh, dials, they've done a little bit more around the flavoring. Um, it's a little bit easier. I think they, part of the way they make a dial is a little bit less bitter as well, which will make life a little bit um, less unpleasant if you do want to have these things. Um, so that's the the other thing there. I did want to talk about, oh yeah, so the other effects of the ketones that we talked about. So society is definitely one of them. And there is research around what they call uh, the it's incretins. So things like ghrelin and uh, particularly, which is a hormone that is released when you are um, 
you know, not so hungry. Oh, so it, it, it's a hormone released um, that signals being fuller. So it does have an in, impact on that. Uh, and that's probably why you're feeling the the satiety there of not necessarily wanting carbs or anything like that. Um, and, and you may just have a lower intake in general. There is some evidence around uh, post-exercise glycogen recovery. Um, now, that's really interesting. It's mixed evidence. This may not be hold true and everybody uh, may not even be the case, but there is some evidence around this and it looks to be uh, an impact on insulin here. So they may have an insulin um, impact and, and create an increased post-exercise uh, glycogen recovery and, and perhaps limitation of glycogen use as well, which would be another reason that you might want to use them towards the end or at the end of exercise so that you stop using glycogen and start storing it at an increased rate. Um, so it will help recovery in that respect as well. So that might be one of the reasons Tour de France riders and other people are using them as well is like, let's start recovery and kick this off. Because again, for the Tour de France guys and girls, like that is, it's just about the next day. Once you're towards the end of the stage, it's about the next day, unless you're you know, sprinting to the finish there for whatever reason. So um, yeah, I think I'd encourage people to go check out these papers. There's a really, like, as I said, the Brendan Egan paper is really good. Um, there's some great diagrams here that we've got, that we've put in our notes that, that are going to go on the show notes, but um, talking about things like changes in um, some of the other stuff, like the role of ketones as signaling molecules, because they definitely have those roles as well. Uh, no, I don't want to go too in, too much into that, but basically they work um, through HDAC, which is a, a pathway and, and they work as signaling molecules. So uh, really interesting stuff around how that may impact things. And I think we're going to see an increased interest in this area and increasing research because to this point, oh, yeah. the evidence hasn't been great for their actual impacts on performance, but there's a little bit of this, if there's smoke, there's fire. Like if these guys are using it and a lot of them are paying for it as well, right? These teams, and yes, the teams are pretty wealthy, but still it's a lot of money. If you've got a team of eight riders or I don't even know how many teams are in a Tour de France team, but let's call it six to eight riders taking three doses a day for three weeks. That's a lot. Uh, that is a significant amount um, there. And the other, other thing was that there, um, there was a paper here uh, that talked about ketones attenuating overreaching symptoms. And we've got an episode on overreaching uh, and overtraining. One of our earlier episodes, actually our most popular so far. Um, and yeah, they, they used post-workout and then pre-bed dosing, which again might be what they're using for the Tour de France, which is uh, you know trying to prevent overreaching, which you almost certainly will do in the Tour de France, right? So overreaching is on the continuum towards overtraining. And they looked at increasing workloads for these people over three weeks and, and the group that had the ketones adapted better. Now it's hard and didn't have overreaching symptoms. And it's hard to know if that's just the increased caloric intake because you know that's what you're doing. You're increasing calories to some extent, but there could be other aspects of inflammation or something else that these ketones are playing a role in. Very interesting stuff. It doesn't seem like there's really any downside to these things. Can you think of anything that's come to mind? I mean, we've both listened to quite a lot of different podcasts. We've experienced it ourselves. Um, I can't really think think of anything that's sort of a negative side effect to them. Just the, the cost. yeah, the cost, the cost, and the gastrointestinal stuff, right? So the side effects, yeah. the nausea, bloating, those sort of things. Uh, feeling have you well. had any of that? Uh, well, I mean, I look as I said before, like I sort of, I didn't have it, but I felt that it could be there. If I'd taken a second or third mm-hmm. dose in quick succession, maybe it comes. Um, I wasn't sure if that was from the ketones, because I, I took two sort of two different types, one that was flavored, one that wasn't. And I wasn't sure if it was the flavoring because it was like a pretty, yeah, I'm not sure which one I preferred. If I preferred the flavored or the unflavored, the unflavored was very bitter, but the flavored one was like bitter with like an overlay of the flavor. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
I'm like, I'm not sure if this is better or not, but um, I think we'll see some cool product in the space as well around, yeah, obviously there's already hard ketones and those sort of things, but I think we'll see some cool endurance product here where it'll be multiple uses. You'll sort of get a pack, I think, where you'll have multiple uses or something like that, uh, you know, maybe a marathon pack or something like that. So that'd be quite cool to see um, starting to, to hybridize and, and starting to research the impacts of it. I mean, the only other thing I'd say, I'm pretty conservative despite having used these. And what I would say is, as I alluded to earlier in the episode, the only time that you see high carbohydrates and high um, ketones is in diabetic ketoacidosis. And I'm worried or you know, that sort of makes my ears prick a little bit of like, hey, if we're doing this in training or in a race, is that is that a good thing or not? And it's hard to know. We just don't know. Um, so it might be, that might be the only other downside, I guess. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I have a gut feel, <laughs> uh, no pun intended, that um, in, the, in the very near future, these this substance will be a pretty big deal. Um, maybe not necessarily. I mean, I, I do think there's quite a lot of potential for it to be pretty widespread, pretty ubiquitous in running endurance sports, but I just think in general health um, yeah. for, for people that want to lose weight because it's a, obviously a bit of a, quite a healthy appetite suppressant. Um, and the other thing I want to just finish off with is that if anyone's tried this or they're thinking about trying it, I recommend um to fully understand the benefits of it and to fully understand like the um to to to, to actually feel the proper benefits is i suggest waking up um taking it fasted and then over the next couple of hours you will then notice it uh more more uh, clearly than if you had food with it of course as an athlete you probably want to be taking you know carbs and and, and food fats and proteins uh, you know in the morning before you're training as well but that's probably the best way that I really went, ah, oh, okay, this is how it feels um, when you have a period of say eight to 10 hours beforehand where you're not taking in any sort of calories. Um, but yeah, I've definitely found it helpful for the uh, mental clarity for the longer, more steady state exercise for sure. Um, but yeah, still not super convinced that it's maybe going to help me in a half marathon, but I can totally see why it would help a Tour de France rider because that's just, like I said, like everyone knows that in the obvious, it's just days and days and days of needing to stay mentally focused and mentally there. And I think that's really helpful um, in this case. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think they will, that you'll feel them more and faster. I mean, that's the hard thing with one of the papers that actually references is you can't really blind people in the studies. You can't really blind the other group because the taste is so distinct. It's so bitter that you, um, yeah, you, you know, you, you know, when you've had them. So mm. it's really hard to do a, a true test and blind yourself or blind subjects in a, in a research study. So that's the only uh, hard thing from a scientific point of view, but uh, look interesting to, to play with um, kind of fun. As I said, uh, you know, if people are interested and they can afford them and they want to try them out, I, I would definitely you know give it a go and let us know what you think. Um, interested in thoughts of other people interested in how they would be using them. And uh, yeah, as always, thank you. And please like and share this podcast, um, you know, review us please and, and send us in some listener questions. Check out previous episodes and uh, we'll be back next week. Thank you very much.